Today, playing politics evolves. Patricia Lopez, excuse me, from the Star Tribune, and John Rash, also from the Star Tribune. They're both with us on the Centerpoint Energy Home Service Plus Hotline. Great to uh, chat with both of you. I'm going to read from a uh, Tribune story. And, Pat, I'll start with you. We're talking about the new modeling uh, mm-hmm. for the state of Minnesota that was unveiled, uh, and you heard it right here on CCO at about 11. Initial models were based on an estimate that Minnesota's stay-at-home order would reduce face-to-face contact and disease transmission by 80%. But the model released today should only reduce by just under 60%. The new modeling predicts 1,700 deaths in Minnesota by the end of May. We're a little over 600 right now. But a range of 16,000 to 44 deaths over 12 months of the pandemic. That is a staggering number, Pat. It's also a wide range. I mean, 16,000 to 44,000 deaths. These are all humans. These are our friends. These are neighbors. But those numbers aren't real close. When you uh, consume consume this information early in the day, what uh, struck you most? Uh, Well, I was uh, at first most struck by the fact that uh, a nearly 60% effectiveness rate for social distancing, in my mind, is still very significant and shows that that is um, a a proper path for us to take uh, with proven benefits. That said, it seems that they are definitely taking a more pessimistic outlook, and, and maybe that's appropriate. You know, as you said, these are not just numbers these are people and loved ones and you know contributors and uh, each absence diminishes us so you know we do want to take reasonable steps um i think the wide range shows that there's a lot of flexibility and to my mind it says there's uh you know room for us depending on which way we turn that dial that the governor keeps talking about to keep it to the low end uh, and maybe even, you know, below what their lowest projection is. That's how I hope this will guide us rather than a bunch of people dismissing it because they feel it's too um, pessimistic. These are models that are going to be influenced by um, various factors, and they are going to be changing, you know, uh, continuously. John, how about you? What jumped out at you most? That it's a staggering number even on the low end and an almost unthinkable number on the high end. And that I concur with Patricia in that even though social distancing may not be as efficacious as originally estimated, it is probably keeping that number from being even more unbearably high. And so it's incredibly important that to the degree possible, society maintain that kind of stance. Now, all of us through data and through observation have noticed that social distancing seems to be dissipating, disappearing Mm -hmm. in some cases, and it's the push to open the economy more and people's weariness and wariness with all of this, however understandable, makes it less likely that they'll adhere to it, that these numbers indeed could come true, and that's an absolute tragedy for the state of Minnesota and then compounded around the rest of the nation and the world, and the resulting echo effects of not just lives, but livelihoods lost is a crisis, as many has observed, have, a, have observed the biggest since World War II. I, I should say, you know, I don't think that the, um, that, that number, the 60%, reflects 
the lack of effectiveness of social distancing, but rather the lack of social distancing itself. We have not done perhaps social distancing as effectively as we could. I don't think the method is in dispute. It's how widespread the practice is. So the fewer people take that step, the higher those numbers are going to tick. Pat, I want to stay with you and start this because you, you, you follow the Capitol so closely. The governor is going to address the state today. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, he's moving later in the day. He wants more of a reach. I yeah. also think they've, uh, my reporting tells me that they've really been struggling to try to find that line of what what dials do they turn up, where do they hold back. But right. he's going to speak. You'll hear You'll hear it right here on CCO at 6. I think everybody expects him to extend the peacetime state of emergency probably for another month. Most reporting says he's going to extend the stay-at-home order, maybe modify it a little bit, but the dramatic changes that a lot of people want are not coming. How do you think that's going to play with the state? How do you think it's going to play with some of the prominent Republicans over at the Capitol? Well, um, I wouldn't go so far as to predict what he is or isn't going to do. I know the tremendous the pressure to uh, loosen up restrictions is tremendous, especially in light of what Wisconsin did earlier. And now Iowa has announced that it is reopening most of its salons, restaurants, fitness centers, et cetera. Um, that's, you know, that's pressure on both sides of our border. And um, whether Walls decides that's the best course, if he decides to, you know, maintain the stricter uh, regulations that we now have, I think it's going to generate huge pushback. Uh, there's already another um, uh, protest uh, scheduled for uh, Thursday in front of the governor's residence. Uh, there's talk that there are um, some restaurants and businesses in Stearns County, which is already a hot spot, I should say, um, are going to go ahead and defy the order and open anyway. Once you get to that point, it gets increasingly difficult, um, you know, because nobody wants to see police come in and do heavy-handed enforcement. A lot of this relies on the voluntary cooperation of the public to make it work. So if he's going to maintain those restrictions, I hope he is going to lay out in great detail why he believes it's necessary for us to do more than all of the surrounding states are doing. John, I think that's a really important point. The The last time the governor extended it, many people, I'm in this category, thought the governor was going to go further. Now, as Pat lays it out in excellent detail about what's happening all around us, what we're seeing, it is juxtaposed by the White House raising the number of how many people might die. It is juxtaposed right here with the modeling we're just talking about. But to me... Of all the of all the times he has spoken to the state, John, I think this is the time when he's going to find the most unwelcoming audience. He's still liked. They appreciate the approach. But so many people are seeing what's happening nearby. So many people are seeing what's happening, and they're just frustrated. Maybe they shouldn't be when we balance the health out, but they just are. I think this is going to be a tough one for Governor Walls myself tonight. I concur, and I think that um, he will face some pushback among Minnesotans and certainly among in the legislature if, indeed, he holds the line more. And yet, ironically, many of the Republicans in the legislature who are strong, staunch supporters of President Trump are ignoring the very guidelines 
that the administration has put out. Now, certainly they wouldn't be the only ones. The vast majority of states that have moved to liberalize the rules to allow more businesses to open, to reopen their states, as the common parlance is known at this point, are not adhering to the guidelines the Trump administration came out with. So it's not like, you know, even though this pandemic has become partisan, like everything else in our modern American society, the Republican administration put down markers that were reachable, but generally they have not been adhered to. So it will be compelling to hear what he has to say, how people will react to it. And especially, as Patricia rightly mentions, we have pressure on every border, although I will mention that we also, of course, albeit it's less influential, have a northern border with Canada, and Canada has generally stuck by the science and and been a bit more restrictive in terms of what they're doing and more national in their response as opposed to provincial allowing just Manitoba or just Ontario in these cases to make this decision. But yeah, I think this is a a really big call and appropriately it's uh, going to be, you know, an evening address as opposed to Mm -hmm. normal two o'clock update. And I think that reflects the gravity of it. Here's another um, problem with that is that as the rules uh, become harder to to understand, um, people are less inclined to obey them. And so we've seen examples of this where some businesses are open, others are closed, you know, small businesses are hit really hard, even though arguably you could save, you know, I go in a lot of small stores where, you know, you hardly ever see more than five customers at one point. Um, could they reasonably do it? We, we need to have some way to make sense of the rules that are going to be coming out this afternoon to make it easy for people to uh, rationalize it and to comply with it. If we can't do yep. that, then I think they have to rethink it, especially in light of the fact that our death rate is now higher. I mean, our number, total number of deaths are now higher than Wisconsin's and by a fair amount. So, you know, we have to mm-hmm. figure out why that is and what is the best path forward, whether that's reopening some businesses, you know, retargeting who should be isolated. I, I don't claim to know these things myself. A quick note to this as well, yeah. and what Patricia just said, is that, you know, one just wonders, with all the pushback that is happening just a few months into this crisis, and with nearly every public health official saying that a vaccine is still months, if not, heaven forbid, a year or so away, if we do indeed have this second wave that Dr. Anthony Fauci and so many others are warning about, and if it's even more ferocious than the one we're experiencing right now, that's where things are really going to get difficult because you may, as a governor, and not just in Minnesota, have to ask residents to go back home and begin the process all over again. And if they're so resistant to it at this point, they might be even more so, and yet the health need to do so might be more acute. And that, of course, was one of the lessons from the 1918-19 pandemic, as we all now know, having studied that history, is the second wave was more lethal than the first. And those cities that were able to get control of it sooner by social distancing measures of that time were able to fare better in the short term and even in a long term economic trajectory. So uh, this decision is quite monumental, not just for the moment, but for the future as well. For sure. Let me just jump in and take the break, too, and just add 
People are going to wonder about that small business. They're going to wonder about their places of worship. The governor has, has, has talked about his empathy for that, his concern about that, but keeps saying, wait, uh, those areas and the consistency and the calls of hypocrisy on other businesses, I think a lot of people have been watching for that, and you'll hear it again here on CCO at 6. Short pause, right back, playing politics with Pat and John in just moments. Let's uh, talk about the Supreme Court here with uh, Pat Lopez and John Rash. I'll start with you. The Supreme Court yesterday was dealing with the president and uh, his power, access of tax returns. Uh, How different is that than issues of uh, a similar presidential power with Presidents Nixon and Clinton? Today, it's about the presidential election. This is about whether presidential electors are bound to support popular vote winners in their states, or they can opt for someone else. 32 states and D.C. require presidential electors to vote for the popular winner, and electors almost always do that. This issue has come up, including in the last election, when in Washington and Colorado, uh, people did not do it. Also, you had issues in other states, including Minnesota. So, John, I think this surprises people about the leeway that some electors believe they have, the way it's interpreted in the Constitution. Um, What's your feel about where this might be headed? That the words from the court today that it potentially invited chaos were quite accurate. And already so many people are want to re-examine the Electoral College in the first place, which is wildly disproportionate to smaller, more rural states, meaning states like North Dakota, the average voter has more representation in the presidential election than states like California. And a lot of people, of course, think that that's unfair and also think that if indeed we changed this system to a popular vote, that Different candidates would emerge. They would campaign a bit differently. And some of the areas that are chronically not campaigned to or not listened to or don't get a hearing from presidential candidates because they're not in swing states or they're in disadvantaged communities may get more attention and thus more action. And and so if anything needs perhaps to be reexamined, it's the whole system. But as long as we have the Electoral College and those are the rules, that the electors um, reflect what their state decided and, in effect, what the nation decided. Pat, I just want to pick up on this and frame it this way. We are such a divided country. Mm-hmm. We're so uncertain how the election is even going to play out this year, right? Jared Kushner with some comments yesterday about whether the election would happen, and he's walking those back. You have Joe Biden uh, suggesting he's wary of President Trump trying to pull back in the election. Mm-hmm. I mean, can you imagine a scenario where we have a razor-thin margin? And let's just use 2020 as an example. And three or four electors, where they feel like they have the freedom, would change their votes? Can you imagine that scenario taking place? To me, there needs to be something definitive that really ends this moving forward. And, you know, there are a lot of scenarios I couldn't have imagined that have nevertheless come to pass. So there's no reason why we couldn't find ourselves in exactly 
um, the one that you outline. And um, yes, there has to be some rules. I, I think, you know, there's a valid case to be made that the Electoral College is an anachronism that has outlived its usefulness and now um, is, you know, bends too much toward um, a fraction of the population. But that is what we have. And, um, you know, having electors that follow um, the the overall uh, majority wishes of their state seems like a really rational way to go. I don't want to see it you know, jerry-rig in, in a way that allows them to do that kind of last-minute maneuver, which then casts um, taint on, uh, on the election results. We just we just can't go through that. We need a clean election with clean, indisputable results. Pat, i got about 40 seconds left. You cover the Capitol, so jump in. Are we going to have it set where, if necessary, voting for everyone by mail will happen this fall in Minnesota? I know that um, the governor is looking at whether his um, executive order uh, capabilities will allow for that. Um, You know, we already have absentee ballots, uh, so you could argue we we already have a form of it. I I don't see what the fuss is. I mean, since people can do it anyway, why make them request it? Seems to me, rather than jeopardizing electors, we should just do that. Um, I don't know what kind of impediments there are, though, to him if the legislature doesn't go along. Great stuff. Thanks, both. Stay safe. We'll talk soon. You too. Thank you. John Rash and Pat Lopez from the Star TV.